0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and Jerry's over there. I didn't even have to look. Why? I just knew.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yes, and dudes and dudettes, we are in our new studio. Yeah, can you tell? Does it the, sound different? It's the very first one and um, it's tiny. Wait, what do you mean it's the very first one? Very very first podcast that we recorded in here. Oh gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh I was gonna say I said tiny, but it's not tiny. It's cozy, but it is all uh all ours. Yeah. All ours. Everybody <laughs> else at House <laughs> That Works
1: doesn't really know
0: that yet, but they will. Uh yeah, because when uh, we actually have butt detection and when someone sits down in these seats that aren't us, they get a shock.
1: Yeah. And plus an alarm goes off at our desks.
0: Yeah. What's that called? DMR? TMI. Oh. (laughs) Uh, how are you, sir? I'm pretty good. I feel like this is fancy. This is our first real, like, studio. That's not true. Uh, no, I'm trying to remember. The last one was, no. But it's not a utility closet. It's not a lactation room. It's not, yeah. It's not a
1: murder room. It's not an, like, an office with, like, desk, like, office furniture. Yeah. It's a it's a studio that was built out for the specific purpose of recording podcasts. Yep, all we have awesome. to do uh,
0: is put up our Aaron Cooper Originals, mm-hmm. the artwork. Got a couple of those waiting to go. And uh up. we got to work on the lighting in here a little bit. Yeah. Jerry said she's going to hang some china balls for us.
1: Yeah, she keeps pushing the china <laughs> balls.
0: Um so anyway, enough about that. We just wanted to say we're super excited to be in our new office and our new studio.
1: It does feel good. Yeah. Kudos for that intro. (laughs) Uh, I'm not going to say that I knew you were going to say that.
0: Yeah, I I was going to say that too. (laughs) I knew knew. that you were thinking (laughs) of saying that, Chuck. Yes,
1: uh, ESP. Do you believe in ESP? No. No, not at all? Mm, What what do you think it is? Because surely, I mean, just about anyone could agree that humans have some sort of ability somehow to Make good guesses or to predict yeah. the future, whatever you want to call it. Do you agree, or do you think it's strictly just us selectively paying attention to random instances
0: over I, others? I think it's that, and yeah. yeah, and as we'll talk about, I think it's the um, just the nature of uh, coincidence is going to happen uh-huh. because so many things happen every day uh, that something is bound to. <clears throat> Seem like something you dreamed about the night before right. at some point in your life. Yeah. But the other millions of dreams you have that don't, <laughs> right. I think those are the ones that are the uh the tell. I got gotcha. You know? Do you?
1: I don't know. Like I want to. I spent so many years of my life believing in stuff like that. Yeah. And, like, yeah. and wanting to go to, to Duke University to study at their parapsychology department. And Did you really? Believe, yeah, and but you know, believing in ghosts and all this, and just that's how I spent my childhood, just reading about stuff like that voraciously.
0: So, Ghostbusters really did a number on you.
1: Yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. When that came along, I was like, "Sure, this was made for me." Yeah. Um, but uh, as an adult, it's not so much that I believe in ESP. It's more that I um, I refuse to just. Utterly disbelieve in the possibility of it.
0: Sure, okay, you know what I mean. Yeah, I got you there because we don't know everything about everything yet, right? But uh, yeah, I'm in the I'm the other camp, and I'm not even going to say the skeptic camp because well, those people just bug me. Has a bad name <laughs> some uh,
1: for, due to some bad apples. Not all skeptics, no, but uh, there are some that are horses asses. <laughs> <laughs> Can we say that?
0: I don't know. We'll find out. Um, all right, well, let's talk about, and I thought this was interesting because I never knew that, uh, ESP is just a, a big collective term for all manner of, uh, paranormal, uh, paranormal phenomena, right. which you could also call psi.
1: Yeah. And so a dude named JB Ryan, yeah. who we'll talk about later, he coined ESP. The granddaddy. Uh-huh. And then in the forties, another guy coined the term psi, and psi is the a greek letter and it's equated with psyche or the soul yeah psi and the reason that the guy chose psi is because he felt esp suggested it was something supernatural yeah sure and psi he felt suggested that this is a normal part of humanity we just don't understand
0: it it's it sounds like science (laughs) (laughs) you're right um but there are several categories (laughs) of esp um and this is the one I never knew, the actual definitions for these. I sort of just threw them all in a bag together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have telepathy, and that's when you can, you know, you're over there reading my thoughts. Yes. Like Chuck is really not happy to be in the new studio. That's not true. He'd rather be at home on the couch.
1: I'm reading your thoughts right now, and I know that you like this place. Oh, okay.
0: Well, you're, you're a telepath. Right. Uh, clairvoyance, which is the ability to see uh, events or things, objects, happening somewhere else at the same time. So are you doing? Are you clairvoyant? <laughs> I am.
1: I'm seeing your couch right now, and I'm seeing it's not that comfy. Yeah. So you're not missing that much at the moment.
0: I know. Somewhere, Jonathan Strickland is waxing his head, <laughs> his bald head. That's just a logical assumption. Okay. Uh, then we have our precogs, precognition. That's when you see into the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, retrocogs, retrocognition, you can see into the distant past.
1: That's – there's another – that's a widely accepted uh, definition of retrocognition. Yeah. Like seeing, you know, a cave – like tuk-tuk running around with the dinosaurs like you do, which I guess never would have happened. Yeah. Um, But there's another term for retrocognition whereas something in the future affects something in the past. So a decision Um, you make in the future affects your past. And uh, an example given is that um, you have a dream about a dinosaur – Okay. No, let's say uh, a spotted dog. Okay. And then the first thing the next morning, you go outside to water your lawn, and this same spotted dog or a similar spotted dog walks by. The idea isn't that that was very coincidental or that you had ESP in your dreams, yeah. but that you seeing that dog in the morning affected your dream the night before. Oh, Okay. So that's another definition that's emerging for retrocognition. Gotcha. That's getting a lot of traction because of the stuff we're finding on the quantum scale. Huh. Just weirdness like that.
0: All right, then you have your mediumship, and that's um uh, Miss Cleo, who can channel dead spirits. <laughs> oh, yeah, I forgot I about, about her. That. And then I you wonder had... how much money that woman grossed in the
1: nineties. Uh, she made a lot of dough. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, she was working hard. <laughs> She had a, a a finite window of opportunity, and she worked that whole time. She so didn't like buy a sailboat and sail around the world after like <laughs> her first million, you know.
0: Like she worked. So you're not in the camp of like she's taking people's money and taking advantage of people. Uh, I, I see that argument, sure, for sure. I also see like
1: if people want to spend their money on that and they get something out of it, knock yourself out.
0: All right. Uh, and then you have uh, psychometry, which is the ability to read info. About a person, place, uh, by touching the uh, person or object. And that's uh, what I like to call the dead zone. Right. Christopher Walken, he would place his hands on you and he would see something.
1: Man, I think we talked about it recently, about how that movie holds up still. Yeah. That is such a good movie.
0: Yeah, it really is good. Chris Walken.
1: There's another one, Chuck, um, called Telekinesis, which is like Yuri Geller stroking a spoon and it bending. Right. Like a, being able to manipulate matter v- just using a light touch or your
0: mind. But there is no spoon. <laughs>
1: yeah, wasn't that from Matrix? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So basically, uh, like you said, J.B. Ryan is the, the granddaddy of all this, and he actually started studying. I mean, he was a legitimate scientist. He wasn't some quack. And uh, this was in the 1930s where he – started at Duke University studying para parapsychology basically.
1: And uh, he wasn't the first. He was one of the first um laboratory experimenters in academia to really study yeah. psi, right? Before him, probably about 40 or so years before him, William James and some of his pals at the Society for Psychical Research, oh right. um really laid the groundwork for applying the scientific method to the study of Paranormal phenomenon. Yeah, and they did two things. They outed frauds, like fraudulent mediums, like uh, very famously Madame Blavatsky. Oh yeah, but then they also (laughs) investigated ones like they approached them typically with like an open mind. Yeah, Um, and if they found somebody that they just couldn't explain, they would they studied them. So they were they were studying each one. With an open mind, and the ones they figured out were frauds, they outed as frauds. The ones they figured out it, or couldn't quite explain, yeah. they sought to investigate scientifically rather than just saying, oh, they're a fraud somehow. Right. So that was the groundwork of the study of Psy.
0: What was uh, Madame Blavatsky's deal of the Coney Island Blavardsky's? She was um,
1: – she actually she, – she was almost a cult leader. She, oh. You could argue she was. She um, she created – um. Oh man, it's called like theodism, I think, Uh which is, um, it, it was, it was almost a cult. It was a huge, um, movement in the 19th century where like you'd go to like a seance and there was a medium there and they would channel like the spirits of the dead relatives of people who were there holding hands in the circle and stuff like that. And she gained a lot of power and wealth and prestige until she was outed as, as a fraud. And I don't remember the, the, um, it's theosophy. That's what it is, not the, theoism. Theoism has to do with Theo Huxtable.
0: <laughs> uh, did you see the Source family, by the way, that documentary? No, I haven't. About the L.A. cult mm-hmm. in the seventies. I saw the the icon on Netflix. Yeah. and I never clicked. Is it good? It's really good, and it's 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 awesome. Actually, uh, I recommend everyone see it. It's one of those where like they interview a lot of them today, and it, they weren't like you know. They didn't commit suicide. Like, everyone was like, it was pretty great. (laughs) Oh, yeah? (laughs) Yeah, they're all fine. They're all just a bunch of hippies still. They were out in L.A.? Yeah, yeah, right in Hollywood.
1: There was one in, um, there was a documentary I saw about a a cult in Miami. Uh Uh-huh. And they were, like, super fundamentalist Christian. Yeah, yeah. But they also were, um, the basis of their religion was, was
0: formed on pot, too. Well, that's what the Source family was.
1: I wonder if they were related.
0: It's, well, it was the 70s. Yeah. There were a lot of pot cults, I bet.
1: But did they turn into, like, huge pot dealers?
0: No, I These, don't think so. This cult did. They had a band, though. And the, the. <laughs> Called cult, the Source? Mm. You know, I can't remember the name of the band, but it's pretty interesting to Manhattan listen to. Manhattan Transfer? <laughs> yeah, that was it. <laughs> It's a really good documentary, though. It's just funny to see all these people now. They're like, "It was awesome. Yeah, had a lot of sex and smoked a lot of weed." Yeah,
1: that's kind of what nobody got hurt. They these guys didn't seem to have a lot of sex, though. They were like real, like um, compartmentalized, gender-wise, and like male dominance and all that. But they just smoked a ton of pot all the time, including their little kids. Oh well, that's not good. Like like four year olds smoking pot. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it was uh, in the documentary. It's worth seeing.
0: I don't remember what it's. You had me up. You lost me there. I lost everybody there in that documentary. Yeah. Um, alright. So back to this ESP thing. Um, JB Ryan? Yeah, JB Ryan. Well, basically, there's a, there's a lot of different outlooks on what ESP might be. Um, some people think that everyone's got it, but some people, um, it just pops up every now and then. Um, like I might have a dream that comes true or whatever. Uh, other people think that only certain people have it. This, the the gift, as they say. Right. Uh, and that they have to be in this special, like, you know, mental state to access it. The shinning. Yeah, <laughs> the shinning. And then other folks say that everyone has that potential, but, um, some people are just like in tune with it and For- some people aren't. Right.
1: And you fall in the, none of those three camps. <laughs> yes. Um, so we'll talk a little more about, um, some ideas of what ESP is. Right after this. So, Chuck, um, you said that basically how people see ESP is either everyone has it, some people have it, or no one has it, basically. Uh... Whether you're a skeptic or a believer. Right. Um, If you are a believer in ESP and somebody comes to you and says, okay, explain ESP. Like, what is it? Right. There's actually a couple of um, very common suggestions or proposals. Yeah. One made sense for a while before we knew a little more about the brain, Um, and that was that ESP – was some form or fashion of the electromagnetic spectrum yeah. that we were receiving information from outside of our usual senses.
0: Yeah, and like you said, it it fell out of favor because um basically it didn't explain anything about how it moves through time or there you didn't pick up on special some special part of your brain that like receives this message.
1: Yeah. And there was a um did you see that study I sent you that was, I think, from 2010 where they put people in an MRI and then showed them um, different pictures or whatever? No. Uh, and they did, they showed, like, they. I, I put you in the wonder machine. Okay. And now I'm showing you a picture of the flower.
0: And that's it. Okay. It's lovely, except it sounds like a German uh, rave. <laughs> okay. Yeah. A little
1: bit. Um. But that would be uh, the non-ESP stimuli, the control group, yeah, to test ESP and to see if the brain reacted differently and then to see if there was a part of the brain that's picking up on ESP. Uh-huh. I would show you the flower and then in the other room, I would also show Emily that flower and oh, have right. her think about it yeah. and send you – the thought of that flower. So you're getting ESP uh-huh. stimuli and then non-ESP stimuli. And from the MRI, they showed that the brain didn't react differently. Gotcha. So it suggests that there isn't a sensory organ or region of the brain that's responsible for picking up ESP, which doesn't debunk the possibility of ESP. Yeah. It just undermines the idea that there's a region of our brain that would be responsible
0: for picking that up. Plus, if Emily's over there, I'm, I'm my first guess is going to be dog- Every time, and it's flower, and then well, it's not going to Well,
1: work. it wasn't about guessing. It was just to see, like, showing you ES, the ESP version right. and then the non-ESP version of the same
0: thing. So you weren't guessing. Do you okay. understand? Yeah, I get it now. I would have guessed dog or wine. There wasn't <laughs> guessing. <laughs> I still would have guessed. Emily thinks she has a gift a little bit, so she would have been disappointed.
1: She's got the shin?
0: Yeah, a little, she thinks. But I I think she's just super, uh, observant and intuitive.
1: Well, that's definitely one explanation for it. Yeah,
0: which we'll get to, of course. Um, so these days there are other theories, uh, one of which is that, uh, it's called spillover, that there's basically another dimension that we, that doesn't, you know, have our laws here and our dimension. And that sometimes stuff just sort of spills over from that and we see, uh, the future or the past.
1: Yeah. And if you're a skeptic, you probably just pulled a decent-sized clump of your hair out of the side of your head at that one. Yeah,
0: because this is something you can't prove, obviously. It's like completely um, – and, of course, they'll say it, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, and I think I got the impression from this article that um, they were making that point. Like science is just chasing its tail and trying to explain ESP because it's not currently capable. Yeah. And science goes – doesn't work like that. Yeah. You know? Um, at least with the electromagnetic spectrum explanation, it was pointing to something that we already know exists, right? It's just that there, there's no way to show that we would be getting, how we would be getting information from it. Because the electromagnetic explanation, it, it basically says, if you compare it to other findings from ESP, it makes even less sense. Right, Because with ESP, one of the hallmarks of it is that no matter whether you're out there, outside of the studio, sure. thinking about wine or a dog or something, <laughs> yeah. and I'm picking up on it, or if you're in China and I'm here and we're doing the same thing, the the signal doesn't weaken at all.
0: Yeah, and that just flies in the face of all we know about electromagnetic right. waves. exactly. No good. Right.
1: So there's a lot of things wrong with the proposals of what ESP is.
0: Uh, yeah, but you know, the reason why still people still believe in this stuff is because of either hearing a story about their friend who said, you know, listen to this crazy thing happen. Right. Or experiencing it themselves in some way or another, having a dream that something similar happened. And all of a sudden you're like, mm, I might have the gift. Exactly. Or it popped up in me, you know, briefly at least. And there's a, I mean, there's a lot of, um, evidence of
1: a strange and unusual Occurrences sure that support the idea of ESP. Yeah, um, this article gives a really good one about um, an 1898 book called Futility. Yeah, that was written by a guy named Morgan Robertson, right? Mm-hmm. And in it, the guy details this book or this boat called the Titan, a ship. Yeah, ship. (laughs) A boat. A big old boat. (laughs) Yeah. um, Which is sailing across the Atlantic and hits an iceberg at night and sinks and a bunch of people die because there weren't enough lifeboats. Yeah. This is 1898. And if that sounds familiar, the Titanic did the same exact thing. The Titanic, not the Titan, did the same exact thing 14 years later.
0: Yeah, uh, if there, there are a bunch of similarities. Um, the Titan struck an iceberg in the book on the starboard side on an April night in the North Atlantic off the coast of Newfoundland. And the real Titanic struck an iceberg on the starboard side in April in the North Atlantic off the coast of Newfoundland. On a starless night? Uh, I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, they were both said to be unsinkable. Um, more than half of the passengers of the Titanic, uh, perished and, more than half of the passengers and crew on the Titan perished. So there's all these things in there, but you do a little more digging and you find out that Robertson was, uh, he was a seaman and he knew a bunch of this stuff. And it's not unreasonable to think at the time they wanted to build the biggest ships and the word Titan would be a great name back then for a super big ship. Right. And that sailing route, uh, was a common one. And there were icebergs, yeah. and April might have been a common month for that kind of uh, voyage. So all of it can be explained away, kind of. Um, but it is definitely something you look at and go, ooh, interesting.
1: It is interesting, and it's an amazing coincidence, and it focuses the uh, attention and captures the imagination. Um, but then, yeah, once you hear about Robertson's background, it becomes slightly less impressive. So then kind of to, oh, over the years, that little kernel got erased and added to it was that this idea for this book came to him in a trance, which bolsters the
0: ESP thing. Yeah, is that true or has that just been added? Uh... I'm sure it was added over the years. Okay.
1: Which is a big problem with this kind of anecdotal evidence is right. that, you know, it gets embellished and there's Urban flourishes added. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, it's just, it's not enough that this is a really interesting, unique Right. Circumstance or coincidence or whatever. There has to be this extra layer of proof like it came to him in a trance. Come on.
0: Yeah. Um, so back to Ryan. He did some, um, like I said, in the 1930s, he started studying this stuff uh, with one of my favorite inventions um, by his colleague, Carl Zenner. Uh, of course, if you've seen Ghostbusters, he was using he was using a, a version of Zener cards. Right. Um the shapes weren't all exact. I think there was one that was different um, in Ghostbusters. But the original Zener cards were—it uh, was a deck of 25 plain white cards. With um, each of them had one of five symbols: uh, a circle, a plus sign, a square, a star, five-pointed star, and the three uh, wavy lines, mm-hmm. like water, a river. Is that what that is? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> and the idea is that just like in Ghostbusters, you hold it up and um, the You know, not showing them the card, uh, obviously, right. not the symbol, and say, what do you see? And they say what they see, and then you record after the deck how many they got right.
1: Right, but the person holding the card is supposed to be thinking about what they're seeing. Sure. So that the other person, the target, yeah. the receiver, can um, pick it up tele- telepathically.
0: Yeah, and I did, they have these online. I took the test yesterday. Uh-huh. Um, and I went through the 25 deck, and I only got six out of 25. And at the end, it just said, you are not a psychic. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. Statistically
1: speaking, for just one trial, yeah. that is more than chance. You did better than chance, so maybe you do have a touch.
0: Six of, what What would chance be, I guess? Chance would be, if there's five
1: different ones. It
0: would be 20%. Uh-huh. And so this was six of 24 would be, uh, is that 25%? No, that's less. No, no, uh, no. no, that's less.
1: Yeah. No. You did six of God, 24. So bad, you did 24 man. or 25? 25. So five of 25 would be chance.
0: Okay. So I got one more. Yeah. Well, and I think like three of the first eight or so or six I got, and I was like, oh, I've got the gift. <laughs> right. But I didn't know, like, it's randomly generated, and so it's not like someone was on the other side thinking of that card. So I literally, I was like, what do I do? I was like, I'm just guessing. So that
1: brings up some interesting stuff. Like there's, there's, um, evidence that when a machine is involved, yeah, there is no telepathy. There would only be clairvoyance, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if, if, if telepathy is you picking up what's in someone else's mind and a computer is mindless, then you shouldn't be able, what you were saying, like you should, it shouldn't You should not be able to know what Zenner card it's going to pick next, right? But there have been investigations using computers and using machines that show above chance that there is some sort of weird interaction.
0: Like uh, random number generators. Yes. Yeah.
1: So Princeton University has a department called the Princeton Engineering Anomalies Research Department, Pair. Right? Of course. And Pair has been doing studies for a couple of decades. They've done millions of trials. Yeah. And basically they'll say this is a random number generator or this this machine operates randomly or whatever. We want you to think of a number and we want to see if you can influence the numbers that this computer
0: spits out. Oh, so you're thinking of the number then the com- you're – okay, that makes like, sense. Like
1: the human is trying to affect the the, computer. the output, the behavior of the computer. Of course – If you're sitting across the room or in another room thinking about a number that a random generator should put out, it should have zero effect whatsoever. No, it's a computer. The weird thing is, is what Princeton has found is that yes, over enough trials, you, there is a slight, very slight, but measurable effect that human thought has on a random number generator. Come on, it's it's on Princeton's <laughs> website, and this is stuff that like is apparently accepted in the in the scientific community. That yeah. the, the the um trials that they are running are so widespread and so repeatable and have been done so many times that the data that they're coming up with is is uh, it's significant.
0: Well, Ryan, with his intercard experiments in the 30s, did find that some people um. Got what they thought were pretty impressive results, like, you know, a few, I can't remember their names, but. Hubert Pierce. Was he one of them? He was the one. Well, how many, what was his percentage?
1: He had one where he got, um, remember how you got three in a row and you were like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. He got 25 in a row once. What? 25. Come on. No, I'm not kidding. Uh, he was also documented as selecting 558 correct out of 1850, which is the, the Odds of that happening by chance yeah. were twenty-two billion to one.
0: Now, were these the early experiments? Yes. Because okay, because I, I did read that. Um, and this seems like I can't believe he didn't check this, but <laughs> uh, apparently the early cards were a little translucent. Oh, really? Yeah, some of them were, and then he corrected for that, and the and the uh, percentages went down. And then they, um, I know other uh, scientists said that you are somehow influencing with your Body tell. Right. Like you, basically, you don't have a good enough poker face.
1: Yeah. In the earliest, um, Ryan experiments with the Zenner cards, he would hold the card up
0: and go, and he'd be making eye contact. (laughs) Right. Right. The
1: guy, yeah, the guesser would be like, is it the wavy line? Yeah. He'd start shaking his head (laughs) almost imperceptibly. Um, but he, uh, he, that's called sensory leakage, where, you, the person who is, um, holding the card and knows what the card is. Yeah. Somehow there's some detail about your face that when you do a thousand trials with somebody, yeah. they start to pick up on and it affects their guess. It influences their guests. So to, to, um, correct for that, to control for that, What's it um, called? The, a sensory leakage. Oh, gross. Isn't that gross? Yeah. Um, they, they came up with something called the Gansfield experiment.
0: Ah, yes, the German Gansfeld. Um that means whole field in uh German and that is when they started putting people um they would start depriving their other senses basically. Right. Uh they would be in a uh, like a, a dimly lit uh room with red lighting and they would have white noise and they would have their eyes covered with these uh special glasses or with- ping pong balls cut in half. Like Kermit the Frog. <laughs> I guess later on they said, we should just make some glasses. Exactly.
1: <laughs> We've got the funding.
0: So basically the idea was, let's rule out any, uh, any of that s- gross sensory leakage. <laughs> right? Yeah. Which smells. <laughs> um, so, uh,
1: yeah. Apparently later on in Ryan's experiments, um, after he started controlling for stuff, the percentages started to drop. Yeah. Of and he, correct and guesses. He got sad. Um, He's, he was also – he's generally a respected researcher for yeah. a couple of reasons. One, whenever he did – whenever evidence of like um, some sort of uh, bias or fraud or something was brought to him, he corrected for it.
0: Yeah, he wore glasses and a white coat. Right, that was another mm-hmm. one. Uh-huh. Um,
1: but also he was daring enough to stake his entire career on – uh, a, a field of study yeah. that will get anybody mocked Yeah, sure. publicly, privately um, can really shut down a lot of opportunities for you this guy and his wife, Louisa Ryan, both dedicated their careers to establishing the field of parapsychology and really studying it yeah, rather than think, just walking away from it.
0: Yeah, I don't think he was like I really want to prove this is uh, true, was he? Uh yes, he did. Oh,
1: that was a that was a huge criticism of him. Gotcha. uh, He wanted to believe. He was a definite believer. Uh, Oh, um, he was quoted by I don't know what the guide steel was, but one day he was visited by one person, and the interviewer who went on to write a, a a paper, I think, in Scientific American to expose him. Yeah, he said he kept a file of people of the results of tests where um. People he suspected were purposefully getting things wrong because they didn't like him uh, to mess with his data. Yeah. He just took those and never published them. He didn't include them in the gotcha. the results, which would definitely affect the number of correct hits, right? Yeah. Um, that was a huge criticism. That's not good science at all. No. But he was definitely a believer, which was another criticism. But he was daring and he did um, – there was another story where it's called The Levy Affair. Where a guy named Levy, who was an electrical engineer working in the lab, uh, unplugged, uh, I guess, a sensor that would correct negative hits for a little while during a trial. Yeah. So that all that were recorded for a little bit were positive hits. (laughs) Um, And so – and then he plugged it back in. well, this one guy saw what the guy was doing and went to Ryan. And Ryan went to the guy, Levy, and said, did you do this? And Levy said, yes. He's like, you're fired. And just, like, threw the results away and all that. So he he wasn't like – he was a true believer, but he wasn't just some, like, outright fraud. Right, right. But he was, uh, and still is, under the microscope as much as probably any researcher in all of academia ever has been.
0: All right. Well, right after this uh, break, we'll talk a little bit about what skeptics say about ESB. <laughs> All right, Josh, one thing you'll hear skeptics say a lot is uh, extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yeah. And I have to agree with them. Yeah. And uh, it is an extraordinary claim here. And um, so far, there hasn't been um, extraordinary evidence. And one of the things I pointed to earlier that I think is what's going on, if you look at statistics, mm-hmm. you look at six billion people on planet Earth uh, and them thinking a gazillion things each day, and that is scientific, by the way.
1: <laughs> gazillion.
0: Um at some point somebody is going to think something that it mirrors uh something that happens in the near future. Uh and it's just chance and coincidence.
1: I have a great example of that, man. Okay. It happened this very morning. What? Yeah, it did. Um I was at the printer, and you know, we just moved offices mm-hmm. and I was at the printer and I had like an extra piece of paper that I didn't need and I realized like we have no paper recycling here. So on my way not, back, not yet. That is, to everyone out there is like,
0: "What kind of office would not recycle?" Right. We just
1: said we have a we have a fifty five gallon drum that we throw <laughs> stuff into that's uh, it catches on fire.
0: Yeah, and then we send it out. To we have see a burning it. drum. That's what it's called. <laughs> no, we're getting those soon. Um,
1: right, and we are getting them soon. I know this because on my way back to my desk, yeah. I popped into Izzy, the IT guy who's also the head of all recycling and stuff here. <laughs> sure, I was like, Izzy, we need a, a paper recycling bins by the printer. And he goes, I'm writing an email right now to everybody about that very thing.
0: You almost did your Izzy impression. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it was close. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, like, I thought about it. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. You know? But it was about nine in the morning. And this is a company-wide email. So it would be something that Izzy would probably knock out about that time. Yeah. The reason I was thinking of it is because I was just at the printer. Yeah. We just moved into this office and we didn't have bins yet. So it was still a potential thing for somebody to be thinking about or doing or writing an email about. Yeah. Um, and so there's all these different – Really overlooked variables or factors to this whole thing that that you don't think of. Instead, it just seems like an amazing coincidence or ESP. Right. To me, the really significant thing was that I happened to be researching ESP while this happened. Right. That's what really kind of stood out to me. Yeah. But if you really kind of look at it, like there's a finite amount of things that people could think about on any given day in any given sure. context in an office or something like that. Yeah. Like, had I been a goat at a petting zoo, and I went over <laughs> and, um, talked to the cow, and the cow was writing the email about recycling bins. Uh huh. Maybe. <laughs> but, we're in an office, I'm talking to the guy about recycling bins. Sure. It, there's just a lot of stuff that you kind of, once you take that into account, it becomes less amazing. Like, like the, the guy writing the Titan Titanic book.
0: Yeah, you know what used to happen to me now that I think of it is, um, I used to, and this, it's weird. It was only with phone landlines. It hadn't happened with the cell phone, mm. but I used to, like, know the phone was going to ring right before it rang. Oh yeah. Like almost go to reach for it. Um, and it, I mean, it's not like it happened all the time, but it happened enough times where I was like, huh, that's weird. Sure. I know what you're talking about. But I, and it, that was all it was to me. I was not like, I have the gift.
1: But think about it in, in that respect too. You know, 15, 20 people. So was it you knew who was calling or just that the phone was about to ring? No, just that
0: it was about to ring. Oh,
1: yeah, that is weird. You definitely do have ESP.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe, I don't know, maybe the phone made a, a little tick noise right before it rang that I didn't pick up on. Yeah. But only subconsciously, you know.
1: Well, that's another explanation for the it. Tick that tick noise. That, I um, <laughs> right. That um, there is uh, subliminal stuff in the environment. That is just too weak in nature for us to pick up on consciously, but our unconscious does or our subconscious does, which frankly opens up a whole other can of worms, you know, yeah. uh, as far as, you know, how real is that kind of thing? There, but probably a little closer to reality is the idea that, um, our attention isn't focused on everything that we're picking up at all times. Like like I see your beard and I see your shirt and everything, but I'm still also picking up like sensory information from like Jerry's computer that I can see in my right. peripheral vision or whatever. My attention isn't focused on it, but my brain is still receiving information. So the idea that our brains can put it together, all this information that we're not aware consciously that we're receiving, yeah, um, but we're still getting impressions from it, that's uh, that that could be a great explanation
0: for ESP as well. Yeah, and you know what? Now that I think about it, the fact that it's never happened with my cell phone sort of makes sense because maybe there it was a mechanical function, a a landline ring. Right.
1: Yeah, like you said, a click or a tick. But yeah. I think you meant like a click.
0: And it wasn't even the the newer model. This was back in the day when the it was like phone. a yeah a ringing like bell. Sure. <laughs> so maybe that does explain it.
1: Yeah. I've got another good example that I came across in researching this. Um Let's say that uh, you and I are hanging out. Yeah. And you're humming, uh baby, I'm a firework, right? Just over and over again. I don't know that song. But I'm reading... Uh, no, uh Yes, you do.
0: No, I don't. Yeah, you do. Who is it? Katy Perry. I don't know Katy Perry. Anyway... um Although I will have to say I did love that halftime show. It was great. Well, it was... I, it was hysterical.
1: What's up with the sharks being a meme now? I, I didn't think just, they were really significant. Did she look
0: like she worked at Corn Dog on a Stick?
1: Uh, I don't know what that is. It's I thought that, all corn dogs were on sticks.
0: No, nah, it's that place in the... Or uh, Hot Dog on a Stick, that's what it was called. That place in the mall where they wore those big, giant uh, pinwheel <laughs> Yeah, yeah gotcha. No, I don't know anything about Katy Perry, but I, it was the funniest, most... Like, the crazy just kept coming, it, and, it coming went, yeah, and coming and coming. Sure. And I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. So... Anyway, in
1: sorry. this universe, yeah. you're well aware of Katy Perry okay. and her song Firework, and you're humming sure. it to yourself. But I'm sitting there reading uh, The New Yorker, yes. and I'm engrossed in it, and not I don't notice that you get up to go make some nachos, and you come back in, and you catch my attention because you're, you're coming back in with some nachos, and they smell awesome. Mm-hmm. And now my attention is directed to you, and you're still humming Firework, right? Right. And I'm like... I was just thinking about that song, Firework. I had that in my head. How crazy. We must be connected. Yeah. I didn't realize that you had been humming it earlier. Sure. And beneath my awareness, I picked it up, although once I became aware that you were humming it, it seemed to me like I had ESP.
0: Well, yeah, and that ties into another explanation is that people who do seem to have that gift are just really, really hyper-observant. On minute details, like the same people that can pick up on micro expressions, um, they might feel like they have the gift because they're just really in tune mm-hmm. to what's going on around them, right. and not just a you know like a big lunkhead walking around. So,
1: a lot of people who believe in ESP say, uh, "Yes, we agree with that." Especially parapsychology researchers, and there are still plenty of respected ones out there. There's a guy named um, Daryl Bem.
0: Yeah, I saw that thing you sent. He he's been doing this for a while now. Yeah, like, legitimately.
1: We should talk about him. But there to to button up that point, there is um, a lot of parapsychologists or even just plain old psychologists who are researching ESP. Yeah, um, who say yes, that definitely uh, most likely accounts for almost all of it right and that's good for us to be thinking about that and that in and of itself des- deserves like academic inquiry and research right yeah but there are still some experience uh, experiments that are being produced by guys like Daryl Bem that um are showing some weird results that go beyond this kind of explanation
0: yeah and and one of the prob well we'll talk about the problems with even this research um about it being reproducible in a second but he did a couple of experiments. This is from NPR. Um, a couple- yeah, Krolwich wrote this. Oh, really? Yeah, from
1: from from Radio Lab. Nice. I didn't know that.
0: Um, these are the two that he pointed out. He did nine different experiments, but um, the two that he highlighted was uh, at Cornell, which is where Bim is a uh, is does his work, right?
1: Yeah, and he's, a, again, a very respected psychologist. Yes, that's right. And this study that of these experiments was published in the Journal of um, Personality and Social Psychology, which is a respected Legit. journal.
0: Yeah. Um, so they, the first one was a computer quiz. They took 100 students, 50 males, and 50 women. And um, basically they showed a computer screen with two little curtains on it side by side and said behind one is nothing, a, a brick wall. And behind the other is something sexy. <laughs> yeah. Some kind of, you know, I, I was about to call it pornographic, but who knows? Maybe it's art. Nakedness. Uh, eroticism. Eroticism. Yeah. <laughs> Gross. Um, <laughs> Does this room, that just make you feel like your dad's saying it or something? Yeah, well, this room's too small for you to say this. <laughs> um, so basically, he would say, you tell me um what what you think you're going to see, and they were all hooked up to uh to machines to read the you know their what's going on in their body of course right and um you would think it would be a fifty fifty result, but they actually got a fifty three point one percent result for the uh what uh Crowich calls erotic stimuli <laughs> <Right>. um <laughs> and basically they they think or the, at least that's what bim thinks is that one possibility is that if there is if they think they're going to see something erotically stimulating then um it got passed back through time yeah
1: that's kind of his position is yeah. that retrocognition thing
0: yeah that they
1: somehow their future selves who saw the erotic image was stimulated enough that that stimulation traveled backwards 3 seconds and influenced their choice
0: because they were they would be slightly stimulated physiologically right before they guess R- and he said before the computer even chose which which one to show
1: right they right they were making their choices often correct um, before the computer chose to show an erotic or non erotic image and 53% it doesn't sound like much but crowwich points out a couple of things one that um, when the, the there was a control group that was shown just non erotic pictures yeah. they did 49.8% correct which is chance and they 50 were, 50 and they were all not happy
0: Right, they're like, I don't want to be the
1: control. Yeah, they're like, can we get a little steamier <laughs> in here? Um, but and he, he also pointed out that fifty three percent, fifty three point one, to be specific, doesn't sound like much, but um, apparently that's a point two percent chance where, on a scale of between zero and one, yeah, where zero is it's not going to happen, and and one is that it's definitely going to happen, yeah. And apparently, as far as um, correlation goes, or links between two things, something affecting another, a point two is about the same as the link between aspirin and heart attack prevention, um, the link between calcium intake and bone mass, the link between secondhand smoke and lung cancer.
0: So things that are touted is like, uh, pay attention to this. Yes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, so stuff that we accept is like, yeah, yeah. If right. you're around secondhand smoke, you you can get cancer from that. Interesting. Um, this is probably has the same exactly. Yeah. It is. And um, later on, a meta analysis of Bem's experiments, some other experiments that were carried out afterward, and then some other experiments all grouped together. A meta analysis showed that um, they they weren't. It wasn't statistically significant if you took all of the existing body of literature of these experiments. Right. But it was a new scientist article and, um, it, it was pretty cool in the comment section. Somebody said, yeah, it's not reproducible, but a lot of science isn't reproducible. And it reminded me of our scientific method episode yeah. where, like, apparently a lot of, um, trials that, that like pharmaceuticals are based on aren't reproducible, isn't it like fifty percent of them or yeah, something? Yeah, like which that? doesn't surprise me, of course. Yeah.
0: Alright, and then there was this other experiment that I need you to explain to me because I didn't understand it. Okay, you ready? Like I got the first part, but I didn't I didn't it didn't make sense to me.
1: Because it's a little mind blowing. Yeah. So you know how like if you are studying something sure. and you write it down, Yes. it gets in your brain a little more? Yeah yeah. So that when you're tested on it later Uh, you will recall it more easily.
0: Yeah, that's a common study method. Write something down.
1: Okay, so Bem carried out a very simple experiment that did the opposite of that. First, he showed some people a bunch of, a bunch of words, Mm -hmm. 48 random words. I think nouns like tree or something like that. Yeah,
0: and he, he told them to visualize it, though, right?
1: Right. So they saw all 48 words and thought about them.
0: Not visualize the letters, but visualize the thing. Right. Like see the tree in your yeah.
1: head. Right. Just, just to kind of try to, to memorize all 48 words. Yeah. Then the, the computer randomly selected 24 of those words. Okay. And then after they'd done that, Bem gave them a test uh-huh. of recall to see how many they recalled. Right? Yes. So the people had to type out the, the um the the words they recalled. Yeah. Then after that, the computer randomly selected twenty-four of the forty-eight words for the people to type after they'd already taken the test of recall. Yeah. And those twenty-four words are the ones that people more consistently got right on the earlier tests.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So it's it's another example of that retrocognition that these people Getting the words in their heads after the test somehow went backward, yeah, and influenced their recall and memory. Gotcha for the test that they took before they learned them.
0: That makes more sense. A little, yeah, it is a little. But see, time travel melts my brain too. Right. So this guy
1: published this stuff in like 2010. Yeah, and like it was, it made a huge, huge splash. Huge criticism. The the academic journal was criticized, and uh, Ben was, you know, pilloried and all that. But he still, you know, put out these, these very reproducible, understandable, simple exercises that still showed, statistically speaking, there were some significant results that went beyond chance.
0: So when it comes to debunking, um, ESP, one thing that you're not gonna, you know, you said fraud, you're not gonna see a lot of people call researchers outright frauds, cause that's just, sort of a dangerous thing to say sure it's not nice (laughs) um but there are people out there who i guess are criticized for you know basically trying to call out um and this is something completely different but these these on stage psychic shows
1: like crossing over with john edwards
0: yeah like it's easy to pick those people out and say you're a big fraud and this is not true of course and uh, all you're doing is cold reading uh cold reading we talked about in the animal um Pet Psychics episode. Right, right. That's basically when you get up on stage and you say, sir, I'm sensing, um, someone there, you're having some trouble with, with another man in your life, uh, with the name of, of Jay or, or is it H or O Maybe P or maybe it's P. Yes, P my my boss uh Peter. Yes, yes, exactly. And that's all a cold reading is is throwing out these really broad things that anyone can latch on to. Right. So it's really easy to call uh those people out and there's a guy, um sort of a guy famous for doing that, his name is um James Randy, and he's famous for his offer of one million dollars right. to anyone that can prove their psychic ability which, of course, no one stepped up to do that. But then he gets poo-pooed a little bit. Like, you're just making a mockery of trying to legitimately disprove something.
1: And mockery is absolutely the right word. Yeah. And to me, the presence of mockery indicates the absence of objectivity. Yeah. Right? So, like, what you're dealing with then with a guy like that is uh, a set of beliefs, a belief system running up against another belief system. Right. Just, like, a couple of religions or something like that. It's not objectivity against fraud or anything like that. It's belief against belief or something. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, the idea of lumping together John Edwards with Daryl Bem. Yeah. Is just that's you know fraudulent in and of itself.
0: Yeah. That's just they call that theatrics, just like the onstage theatrics of a, st- a stage right. psychic. Yeah. So and um, I believe I, I totally agree. Yeah.
1: You know. I, I do too. I think there's a definite room for a healthy scientific inquiry into just about anything, whether skeptics believe in
0: it or not. Sure. If you can get some funding for it, who cares? <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's my motto. Uh, you got anything else on ESP? Uh, let me think.
1: Mm. No. I've got uh, one more thing I found. I came across a 1990, I think, five Nightline with Ted Koppel. Yeah. Where um, the news broke that the CIA had been studying ESP and trying to do remote viewing, what Ronson was talking about in The Men Who Stare at Goats. Oh, yeah, John Ronson. When it finally became declassified in 1995, Ted Koppel did like a 20-minute Nightline segment on it. Totally worth watching. It's some pretty softball questions. but Robert Gates, who would later become the the, um, head of defense. Yeah. He's on there just basically trying as politely as possible to show that he does not believe in any of this even nice. though he was the former CIA director and um it's just neat.
0: Plus you get to watch Koppel again. Right. I he, miss, was, he was great newsman. Yeah I miss those dudes. I miss uh I was just thinking yesterday about uh Brokaw. Yeah, rather I was I was always a brokaw man. Did you I, I liked uh Peter Jennings. He was great. Yeah. I don't even All know. All of them were great. I don't even have any idea who does Night in News now. I don't watch it anymore. It
1: was Brian Williams until about a day ago. Did he get fired?
0: He, like, got... He, I, I know the whole kerfuffle, but he didn't get fired for that, I, did he?
1: I, I, I'm I using my ESP he to predict that by fired. the time this came, this comes out, he will uh, not be there anymore. Wow. I think this is getting big quick. Interesting. Yeah, Twitter's involved.
0: Oh, uh, man. <laughs> the Twitter takedown.
1: Yeah. uh If you want to know more about ESP, uh, the internet was virtually set up for you to go find out more about it. Um, You can start by typing ESP in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said that, it's time for listener mail.
0: Yeah, before we do listener mail, I just want to give a quick shout out to my buddy, Isaac McNary. Uh, If you remember, I did a Judge John Hodgman episode with Emily in which I did a bad home renovation. Mm -hmm. And um, this dude, Stuff You Should Know listener from Kansas, Carpenter master carpenter said hey man i'll come and stay with you and help you do your your uh, project there right and i said this sounds crazy and he actually came and did it and it looks awesome yeah and he's a super cool guy and if you're in kansas the near el dorado kansas there's no better guy to hire the favorite uh, city of el dorado kansas (laughs) it's el dorado actually okay he has to point out but um, not only is he a great carpenter and a cool guy, but he works with a non-profit called Outreach Program. Uh, at, and you can find it at outreachprogram.org, where they're basically feeding the world. Uh. They package food, and they, they get people together in a room and package these mass quantities of food to send to uh, other countries and uh, feed the hungry. Gotcha. And he's just a really good dude. So thanks to Isaac for that. And my kitchen is looking good. <laughs> So, again, uh, for his nonprofit, that is outreachprogram.org. And if you need a great carpenter and you're in Kansas, check out Retrofit Remodeling. Nice. All right. Listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this pronunciation help. Uh, hey, guys, I'm a botanist and just wanted to throw uh, throw you a rope to help you out with pronouncing plant family names. All plant family names end in A-C-E-A-E.
1: Oh, yeah. I, I thought I got that wrong.
0: Uh it is a mess of vowels, guys. When you read it you should just imagine you were spelling A C E as in A C E. So when you read a plant uh family name, just break uh, off F- A C the A C E and read the first part and then spell A C E. So the plant family <laughs> for Poison Oak is uh Anacardia <laughs> Anacardia C E. So it's just Anacardia C E. Uh I remember it by imagining the aneurysm and cardiac arrest i would have if i fell into it a n a c a r d i <laughs> what well she spelled out anacardi oh gotcha the first two uh first letters from each of those words anyway guys i love your podcast find it endearing when you two puzzle out on pronunciations um a c e a c that's good to know yeah so uh love you bunches and that is from jane and she said p.s in europe they pronounce plant families completely differently. Um, other parts A- of the U.S. <laughs> other parts of the U.S. might have other conventions, but the above pronunciation is standard in California. Oh, well. <laughs> okay. What? AC. AC. Uh, if
1: you want to let us know something that we should have known before we even recorded, but you're generous enough with your time and effort to. Correct us, I guess, is a way to put it. Sure. we uh, That was very helpful. Thanks a lot, Jane. If you want to be like Jane, in other words, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, you can join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.